Good morning to all of you. I'm Pastor Tim, the executive pastor here at Grace Community Church, and I am preaching the third part of a three-part series. I want you to know that if you miss the first two parts and you'd like to hear them, you can catch, you can get them on our website and listen to them. But I also want you to know if you're here for the first time and you're just hearing part three, I think it stands on its own and the Lord will speak to you through it. I do want you to know, I don't know if we often think about these things, but it's good for you to be here. It is good for you to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And I want you to know this. You're here because the Lord wants you here. You ever think about that? I know you made a decision to get out of bed this morning and come to church, but make no mistake, the Lord is pleased that you're here, and he's pleased, and he played a role in having you here. And so I trust that he will have something to say to you today through this message. I do want to report to you that um, I've been preaching because of what's been going on with uh, Shelly Venema, and I really don't have uh, an update for you except that we are still waiting for insurance approvals for doctors for, to have her procedure done. And I want to just take a moment to pray for her. I think it's good God's church would pray. It's going to be a very simple prayer, um, but I hope you will join me in it. Let's pray. Well, Father, we... Uh, we confess that we don't always know what you're doing or why you do what you do. We don't understand why there's a holdup on this, this procedure that uh, our senior pastor's wife, Shelley, needs. And so we would pray, Lord, that your will would be done and we would ask that you would heal her. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4? It is a very familiar passage, especially for those of us that have been in youth ministries. It gets read a lot to, um, to um, youth. Uh, let me back, actually, I got ahead of myself. Let me back up just for sake of introduction and um, say a little bit about the, 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 the past messages to bring you up to speed. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself. I was so excited to get to that passage. Um, the message is titled, Do Not Be Deceived. We're talking about deception. It's something that is very real for, um, for us, especially as believers, um, because we know, and I have said this in previous messages, that our God has an evil enemy who is constantly desires to, to attack at God and everything he loves, uh, the purpose of the evil ones are centered around their hatred for God. And when we say the evil ones, we're referring to the, the devil and the demons, fallen angels who have followed him. I want to remind you that their purpose is twofold. First and foremost, they want to keep anyone, they want to keep people from entering the kingdom of God. Romans 10, 9 says, if you would confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. They do not want anyone to confess Jesus is Lord. And they work to that end. They do not want anyone to be in the kingdom of God. But they lose 
In the end, as Jared pointed out, as he got up here to um, lead us in prayer this morning, but they have also lost, especially in reference to each of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ as his as Lord and Savior, and so their tactics change with those of us that know the Lord. Now what they want to do is they want to keep us as believers from being used for the kingdom of God. They want to do everything they can to violate our witness for the Lord. It is true that Acts 1.8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, um, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And make no mistakes, the evil ones are tireless in doing all they can to keep you from being used for the kingdom of God. Their primary weapon is lying, and they lie with the intent to deceive or to create deceptions in your life. Deception is the act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. In other words, what they want you to do is they want you to accept a fault, they want you to accept a lie, they want you to accept it as true, and they want you to accept what is true as a lie. They want to flip it. And the truth of deception is, and it's very important to hear this, which is why we're spending so much time on it, the truth of deception is that one who is deceived does not know it. That's deception. And therefore, they will do everything to, get, to, have, to deceive you. And they will do, and when we are deceived, we don't know it, which is why we have to pay attention. They do this through false prophets and teachers. They do it through deceiving spirits. And as we said last week and again this week, one of the primary things they use is this thing called self-deception. We can actually be lured into deceiving ourselves. And that's why it is very important that we must pay attention to our own lives. Now, back to 1 Timothy 4, 11. As I said, this is very familiar passage to those of us who, who are in, were in youth ministry. I was in youth ministry because we would read it all the time. And it says this, it starts with, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Because the Apostle Paul is speaking to Timothy who is younger. But it is written to all of us. And so let's read the passage together and then we will, and let me make a few comments and then we'll move into the message for today. 1 Timothy 4, 11 to, to 16. It says, command and teach these things. Let no one, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. It's talking about your witness. Set the example by how you live. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. This is why the church is so important. This is why we need to be in places where we can grow in our relationship with Christ. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. In other words, God has gifted you to be a witness for him. Don't neglect that. Practice these things. Devote yourselves to them so that all may see your progress. Keep a, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching 
We spend so much time looking at other people, we don't pay enough attention to ourselves. Keep a close watch on yourself. Persist in this, and by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We need to pay attention, folks. We need to be diligent. We need to evaluate our own lives. We need to have people in our lives that will help us with this. And as I said, when we get deceived, we fall away from this. Last week, I shared the first three deceptions. And again, you could hear this on the website if you'd like to hear the message. But I will just remind you, we are deceived when we hear the word of God, but we don't do the word of God. In other words, we don't want to fall into the trap of just reading it and forgetting about it. We need to do what it says. We're deceived when we say we have no sin. 1 John 1.8. 1 John 1.9 says, if we would confess our sins and be faithful and just to forgive us our sins... He will purify us from all unrighteousness. And what we need to do is deal with sins in our lives. And then the third deception is we are deceived when we think we are something we are not. And that has to do with pride. That has to do with the things that we do and accomplish as people taking those things and elevating it to the point of thinking, I'm doing it. And we neglect the fact that God's been working in our lives. And so again, you can hear that message. I'm going to pick it up at the fourth. I'm going to give you the last five deceptions today. And so we'll go to the fourth deception. We are deceived when we think we are wise in this age. We are deceived when we think we are wise in this age. 1 Corinthians 3, 18 to 21 says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise and they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. In other words, we have to be careful when we're talking about wisdom and the things we know, not to elevate those things above the Lord and His wisdom. It is the height of intellectual arrogance to assume wisdom without the revelation of God. In other words, it's arrogant to think that we know more than God does. Now, I know most people, we wouldn't say we know more than God is, does, but we act in a way that believes that. The deception comes when we elevate our wisdom over the wisdom of God, and clearly human wisdom is worthless outside the revelation of God. Yet we are so prone, hear this, we are so prone to fall into the trap of thinking that we know it all. Everybody struggles with that. And so we pontificate to people. We tell people how to live. We tell people what they should believe. We elevate ourselves in some ways over God, and that's the deception. And we forget that in comparison to God, our wisdom is folly. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So what we're talking about here is thinking we know it all. We should be careful with that because, again, that is pride. And so we need to think about that. We need to test our thoughts. When I was in youth ministry, we had a... We had a song we sang, 
And a few of you who are older will remember the song. It was a chorus, and it was off of Micah 6.8. He has told you, O man, what is good and what is right and what the Lord requires, but to do justice and to have kindness and to walk humbly with your God. In other words, we need to be careful not to think we know it all. Proverbs 3.7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. This is like the last deception. We, we are deceived when we think we are something we are not. It's like that deception, except it has to do with our knowledge rather than our deeds, or what we think rather than what we do. It's very similar. We are tempted to think as people. And don't fall into the trap of thinking about somebody else right now. Look at your own self. We are tempted. The deception happens when we think we've got it all figured out. Have you ever been around someone like that? Have you ever been around someone that seems to be an expert on everything? You're in a public forum, people are talking, and this person wants to comment on everything. They're always the person that has the last word. They are often people that other people want to avoid. And everyone sees through their ignorance, these people that think they're so wise, everybody sees through their ignorance except the person himself. Is it any... Is it any surprise that James said, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry? And yet, when we elevate our wisdom above the wisdom of God, we want to tell everybody what to do. We want to tell everybody how to live. We want everybody to know that we know it, and that's the deception. We are instructed in Scripture, many of you have the passage memorized, we are instructed in Scripture not to lean on our own understanding, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, although we do. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. We are, we are told to employ the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16 tells us that we are to, that it's only the knowledge of God that can really lead us down the path we need to go down. We need to test all things. And folks, I need to tell you, I know it's a hobby horse right now, but we ought to be leaning on the understanding of the Lord, and yet we lean on the understanding of social media. It sickens me, some of the things people post on social media. It's, um, it's sickening to me, and I only, can only wonder what the Lord must think, some of the things people like on social media. I do not comment on social media. I do not like things on social media because I don't want the thoughts of people who are pontificating about things that are not of the Lord. I don't want people to think that I'm good with that. I don't care if it's crafty or if it's cute or it's catchy. If it's not of the Lord, I don't want to be associated to, with it. And so we hold on to the wisdom of the world is what I'm saying, rather than holding on to the wisdom of the Lord. 
I am seriously, I'm getting down on Facebook because I have Facebook. I don't have all the other stuff. But I'm, I'm seriously trying to talk myself into getting rid of Facebook because I'm sick of it. And yet, now I love it because I like seeing the pictures that some of you post of your family. And that's wonderful. I don't know what to tell you about that. But I just know that... <laughs> The Bible says we are supposed to test all things against the standard of the Word of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22 says, Test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every kind of evil. Which leads to the fifth um, deception, and that is we are deceived when we think we are religious, or maybe I could put in there godly, but do not bridle our tongue. James 1.26 says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, the person's religion is worthless. Now before I go any further, let me say something here. I doubt there are many of us in this room that would not feel a little bit guilty with what I'm going to say here in a moment. Who has not had something come off their tongue that they regret? Remember, as believers, we are called to deal with our sin. When we say something that is not godly, we confess it, we repent of it, we learn from it, and we don't do it again. But I am not talking about an occasional slip of the tongue. If we have an occasional slip of the tongue, we need to deal with it. What this deception is talking about is an ongoing lifestyle. This is an ongoing lifestyle of, the, of someone talking in such a way that, it, that exposes their ungodliness. What I'm saying is, is that the tongue is one of the main diagnostic tests of spirituality. How we speak does expose godliness in our lives. 1 Peter 3.10 says, Whoever desires to love life and see good deeds, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Psalm 119.172, My tongue will sing of your word, for your commands are right. And I should say, what we speak keeping on my hobby horse that I want to keep on because I'm irritated with it right now. But when we post things on social media, we are speaking something. So be very cautious with that. The tongue also exposes the ungodly. Psalm 5.9 says, there, For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Psalm 50:19 ought to challenge us as godly people. You give your mouth free reign for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. We have to hang on to our, our words that come out of our mouth. Some other scriptures. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools pour out folly. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who live of it will eat its fruit. And as godly people, it is clear that the tongue is a diagnostic tool for where we're at with the Lord. But we also need to understand, those of us that know the Lord, the tongue, if we let it get away, we can grieve the Lord through what we say 
through what comes out of our mouth. We grieve the Lord when we badmouth people. We grieve the Lord when we put others down rather than building them up. And, and I just got to tell you, I watch a lot of news. I watch, I try to be, a, be up on what's going on out there. I think we need to know what we're up against. And I think we need to be wise about the things of the world. And I can tell you, it doesn't take long, whether you're watching TV or you're listening to a news program or you're just out in the world to find out there's all kinds of people out there that have no problem putting others down. But for us as God's people, we should not be a part of that. Is it not true that Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And then he says, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Why is it in the church we so often act like the world? I grew up in an age where in politics, for example, it was against the law to talk against another candidate. Can you believe that? Some people that are in this room remember it. You could not put down another candidate. You could only talk about yourself. In those days, advertisements, in, it was against the law for a company who was advertising something to put down their their competitor. They could only talk about their own product. Look how far we have come and it sneaks into the church. We grieve the Lord when we put down people, when we badmouth people, when we lie or when we gossip. Pastor John sent me an article this week. He reads a lot and I appreciate um, he will send stuff to us and he sent me a, an article from a, from a syndicated column which I thought was very practical for us this morning. Listen to what it says. There was a young boy who liked to gossip. I should tell you, God's people gossip way too much. If you don't think you gossip, you're deceived because it's very tempting. There was a young boy who liked to gossip. His father gave him a bag of nails and told him that every time he gossiped, he should hammer a nail into the back fence. The first day... The boy drove 37 nails into the fence. They gradually dwindled down. He discovered it was easier to hold his tongue than to drive those nails into the fence. Finally, the day came when the boy didn't gossip at all. He told his father about it, and I think this was a wise father. He told his father about it, and the father suggested that the boy now pull out one nail for each day that he exercised restraint. The days passed. And the young boy was finally able to tell his father that all the nails were gone. The father took his son by the hand and led him to the fence. And he said, you have done well, my son, but look at the holes in the fence. The fence will never be the same. When you say things about other people, they leave scars just like these. So we need to work on that, but make no mistake. When we make those mistakes, it, it, there's a, it, it hurts people, and it hurts the kingdom. If the tongue is out of control, if one is, if one is deceived to think that their spiritual life is where it needs to be, if the tongue is out of control, one is deceived to think 
that their life is where it needs to be. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupting or unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Boy, if we could live by that passage, we'd be a lot better off. When we speak, and we speak wrongly, and we do these kinds of things, there's a price to pay which leads, there's consequences which leads to the sixth deception. We are deceived when we think we will not reap what we sow. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. It's what we call cause and effect. I happen to think cause and effect is a, is a principle that we have lost in our modern day society. I really do. You know what cause and effect is? It's when two or more events occur in a way that one event is the result of another cause effect. Consequences for actions. I could give you a, a ver some very simple examples. A baby is startled. That's the cause. The effect, they cry. A baby is hungry. That's the cause. The effect, they cry. You drive down the street. You drive over a nail. That's the cause. The effect is you get a flat tire. Consequences for actions. And if I just could take a quick side street here, parent to parent, this is, in my opinion, one of the biggest problems in parenting today. Because parents want to remove all consequences for actions. We want to try to, we, we, we've, we've, we're, we've stopped teaching kids that there are consequences for actions. And therefore, we are raising an entire generation of undisciplined, spoiled, entitled children. And now if I was to jump off of that, I would say to us as adults, we have forgot this in our own lives. And therefore, we have a generation of undisciplined, spoiled people. I see it all the time. It is true that our sins are forgiven, folks. It is true, as I taught last week, that when we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so you can have forgiveness, and you can be really sorry and have that, but that doesn't remove the consequences of the sin. So often people confess, they say they're sorry, and then they're upset because consequences come. They get mad at God because the consequences are there. It's a principle that's in life. Let me give you an example. These are real examples from people in my life, none of whom are here or would be sitting in this sanctuary today. A husband is unfaithful to his wife. He commits adultery. He's really sorry. I mean really sorry. He's not just sorry he got caught. He knows he did wrong. He goes to his wife. He confesses it to his wife. She forgives him. 
But you got to understand, that kind of a situation, that person still may lose their marriage. If they stay together, though, there's certainly going to be conflict. There's certainly going to be trust issues. There is always consequences for actions. A young lady goes out. She decides to party with some friends. She drinks too much. On her way home, she shouldn't be driving, but she is. She runs a stop sign, hits another car, and kills someone. She's really sorry that she did that. And she's now trying to deal with the consequences of it. She goes to a friend of mine for counseling. She's really sorry. I can only imagine. She says to my friend, I am a monster. He says, you are not a monster. You just made a really bad mistake. And she faced, I don't know what came of it, but she was faced prison time. She was sorry. She was forgiven. But there are always consequences to pay, which is why we must pay attention to the things that we do. A person is selfish. They shouldn't be surprised when they don't have friends. A person is an angry person. They shouldn't be surprised when people don't want to be around them. A person gossips. Shouldn't be surprised when no one wants to tell them anything. We need to be very careful how we live, folks, and what comes out of our mouth. Remember, the enemy of God wants to keep you from being used for the kingdom of God. If you aren't disciplined with your life as a believer, if you get distracted by the world, the reality is, the result is, that the evil ones may win. And if I could take one more quick side street to say this to you. Why do we as believers think we have to be like everybody else to witness to them? Why do we as believers think we have to go out and do what the ungodly is doing so that we can be in a relationship with them to witness to them? They have plenty of examples of what not to do. What we need to do is be someone who is around the world, is in relationships with these folks, but we give them an example of what not to do. We don't do what they do. How many times I would hear students who would go out and go to parties and get involved in drugs and alcohol, and their, their example would be, well, we're just trying to witness to them. Well, you're not. And I should say, we don't want to be weirdos. We don't want to be so extreme that no one wants to be around us. We want to love and all of that, but we got to be careful not to fall into those same traps because then we pay the consequences for those sins. Which leads to number seven. We are deceived when we think the unrighteous will inherit the kingdom of God. Do you not know, 1 Corinthians 6 says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? I, I think every one of us believes that, right? The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Catch this. We all agree with that, right? It's the word of God. We know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. But think about it. Those who do not know the Lord will spend eternity in hell if they die without Jesus. Do you think about that? I would argue we don't, I don't think about it enough. 
Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. This alone ought to drive us to pay attention to how we live our lives. Because we are talking about life and death issues. We're not talking life and physical death issues here. We're talking about life and spiritual death issues. Process that. How we live our lives. God uses that in our lives. These are heavy-duty things that we need to pay attention to. But this is a hard one. And I'll show you why. It's a hard one because we are so good at justifying away our responsibility to be good witnesses for the Lord. And let me show you how this comes about. Who, who are the unrighteous? Unbelievers, right? They're the unrighteous. They don't know the Lord, right? You agree with that, right? And we can spot them. Matthew 7, 15 to 20, I'm not going to read the whole passage to you, but Matthew 7, 15 to 20 talks about false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, and it goes on and says, talks about their fruit. So we can tell sometimes who the ungodly are by the fruit of their life. But we're not, we're not God. We don't know everybody. But here's where, the, here's where it really becomes deceiving. I hear people say things like this. I know, and it's sad to me for a variety of reasons. I know some unbelievers that I'd rather be around than many believers because they are so nice. I don't even want to be around God's people. I'd rather be around those unbelievers because they're so nice. And the deception comes when we forget that being nice gets no one into the kingdom of heaven because without the Lord, we are all wicked. And so we forget the importance of praying for them, looking for ways to witness to them, living as good examples for the Lord as we're around them. I have some neighbors that are very, very nice people. We love them. They are Hindus. They do not know the Lord, but they're nice people. And you have to almost drive yourself to say, yeah, they're nice, but they need the Lord. So we need to pay attention. But then what about with believers? Here's how, it, how, it, how the deception comes with believers. We know unbelievers will not inherit the kingdom of God, but what about believers? They'll inherit the kingdom of God, right? But how do we, how do we, discuss, how do we know if they're believers or not? It is true that John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who called upon his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Believers, right? And here's how the deception comes in. The deception comes in when we go, Hey, they prayed the prayer. I know they're not living their life the way they should live their life, but they prayed the prayer. They're fine. And we don't, and we don't, we continue, we don't witness to them. We don't understand that just because they prayed a prayer does not put them into the kingdom of God. Now, you might not like that because in the modern day church, we've put so much into they prayed the prayer. How many funerals have I done for someone who lived, who lived a terrible life and yet when they, get, when they get buried, their loved one says to me, they gave their life to the Lord when they were a child, so I believe they're in heaven. Well, I mean, it may be. But my point is, we fall into the trap of not worrying about it. 
I mean, when you come into church this morning, do you worry about what people, what people think about you? Do you worry about what you say and do? I mean, around, around people that have prayed the prayer, and I should tell you, praying the prayer, I don't care what modern day theology tells you, praying the prayer does not get you into heaven. It could be if it comes from a repentant heart, but salvation can be counterfeited. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23, listen to what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. If I was to paraphrase, not everybody that prays the prayer, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one but it's the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, with that said, I don't think we should be running around trying to say, who is a believer and who isn't. We are not to judge the eternal destiny of people. What I'm saying is, is we need not fall into the trap of thinking, I don't need to worry about it at all. We need to live our lives for the Lord because we never know who will be watching. We never know if they're believers or unbelievers. Oh, I shouldn't say we never know. We often don't know. So we need to live our lives for the Lord. Do not be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And finally... The eighth one. We are deceived when we, think we can when we think we can continually associate with bad company and not be corrupted. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts, ruins good morals. In another version it says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. This is a really important one because we as humans, by our nature, we are so adaptable. What I'm telling you is we live to the level of our environment. We are prone to do what our friends do. Let me give you a couple of examples, real life examples. A lady in our church, no longer here, this is a long, long time ago, lady in our church, but I've seen it many times. She's following the Lord. She loves the Lord. She speaks of the Lord. She's, she's consistent in her Christian lifestyle, if you will. She's got the disciplines down. She's single. And she wants to be married, which is fine. That's good. God gives, them the, gives us the desires of our heart, so she prays for that. A man comes into her life. I'm not trying to, when I talked with her, I'm not trying to catch her in something. It's just natural questions. A man comes into her life. I say, um, is he a believer? And she goes, oh yeah, he's a Christian. And the next natural question, oh, where does he go to church? Well, he didn't go to church right now. In fact, he can't find a church that he likes. But when I marry him, he's going to come to our church. I mean, she married him. Never seen her since. Last I heard, she wasn't in the church. 
She wasn't following after the things of the Lord. I'm not saying she's not a believer, but what I'm telling you, you got to be careful who you hang out with. Long time ago, young girl in our youth group, living her life for the Lord. She was a leader. Everybody that would look at her would be, boy, that's the model Christian. A guy comes into her life. He didn't go to church. She says he's a believer. He's a Christian. He comes to our youth group one time, and then he leaves the youth group, and I hear that the youth group is cliquish. Everybody treated him bad. Nobody treated him bad. In fact, those youth bent over backwards to love him. But he left. He never came back. She would still come to the youth group. She would come in. He would wait in the car until the youth group was over. And then she would leave. As soon as it was over, she'd run out and go with him. And it was just a progression. Last I heard, she was far from the Lord. And again, if I could take another, uh, just a quick side street, parent to parent. Parents, you need to, you need to be aware of the influences in your children's lives. Because influences are influences because they influence us. But I will tell you this. You do need to pay attention to the influences in your children's lives, but you need to look at your own influences. I find that God's people sometimes will have a friends group that maybe isn't, doesn't live the way they live, and they, 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 so they hang out with these people, these people become their best friends, and the reason they hang out with these people over here is because then they can feel really good about their own Christian life, because these people aren't going to talk to them when, when, when they do something wrong. You catching what I'm putting down? We need to be careful. But I should tell you, influences are important, but I should tell you, this does not mean, please hear this loud and clear, do not misunderstand what's going on here. We are not as believers the extreme that some people fall into. We are not as believers to isolate ourselves from the world. Some people think, well, I'm just not going to be around the world at all. If you're not around the world at all, how do you, how do you fulfill the Great Commission to go and make disciples? Matthew 5, 13 to 16, I'm not going to read it all to you because of time, but you can read it, talks about that we are the salt of the earth, that we are the light of the world. How can we be the salt of the earth and the light of the world if we aren't out with the world? Jesus says we are to be in the world, but not of the world. So what I'm telling you is we are to be in the world, and we are to be witnessing to them. We are not to let them, though, influence us. We don't take counsel from them. We don't listen to how they want us to live our lives. We should get that from godly people. This is why the Bible says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do wickedness and righteousness have in common, and what fellowship can light have with dark? If being yoked with them is we aren't to be in these kind of relationships where they put into our life. We don't listen to them. And I'm just telling you, some people will, will endorse, there's people that will endorse whatever you want to do, whether it's against the Lord or not. So we need to be careful who we hang out with. And I will tell you this, 
It never stops. It never stops this side of heaven. We have an evil enemy that is constantly trying to take us down. Not because of us, but because of the Lord. He is called a roaring lion, which is just an illustration. And 1 Peter 5.8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your, your adversary, the devil, or the evil ones, prowl around like a roaring lion, waiting to steal, kill, and destroy. They will do everything they can to destroy you. Because they hate you, yeah, they do hate you. But they hate you because of God. Be on guard. The Bible says, stand firm, resist him, and he will flee. Please stand. That's a lot to digest on one Sunday morning. But when you go through those doors, you walk out into the world. It is a mission field. You cannot overlook the fact that Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Don't let your guard down. Be, be on watch. Live your lives for the Lord. Let people see Jesus through you. Let me pray for you. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for your word. Father, I pray, as I prayed in the first service, you already know the prayer, Lord. Anything that I have said that is not from you, may it be forgotten. Anything that I have said that is from you, may it not only be remembered, but may it be acted on because it is from you. I pray this in Jesus' name. God bless you all. If you would like to talk with anybody, elders and deacons, pastors and, and their wives will be up front. God bless you. Have a great day.